listeners, you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies, a playwriting podcast. Every week we discuss plays we love, interview theater artists, and share our thoughts on playwriting and theater. We are your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And today we are discussing what makes a good monologue. And we're going to talk about this with a very special returning guest, Philadelphia-based dramaturg, producer, and arts education advocate, Sean Lesher. He, I just learned this like a minute ago. He reads one or two plays a day and has recommended 752 plays on New Play Exchange, which is just mind-boggling to Woo! me. Amazing accomplishment. Um, Sean, welcome to Beckett's Babies. Welcome back. Yay. Thank you for having me back. Um, this is this is honestly one of my favorite podcasts, so I'm happy to just be Aww. here to talk to y'all. Um, and I'm so glad that like, well, you're one of our favorite friends. listeners. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so nice when your favorite podcast hosts become friends. <laughs> so, topic of monologues. Um, we mentioned, I think, on previous shows of just about like we was it like writing a monologue? Mm-hmm. But I think this episode is really about you know what makes a monologue good and like how do people choose monologues Mm -hmm. help people choose models and monologues so sean so curious to know just your initial thoughts about monologues okay um my initial thoughts on monologues and and i honestly want to know a lot about what y'all think too because you're the ones that write these monologues Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and but as a dramaturg um i'm a big fan of the monologue um I think those are just great opportunities to remind us that what we're watching is theater. Um, I think we're, I think we see a lot of, especially like in the times we are in now, we do tend to like get a lot of um, plays that are like rapid fire dialogue. And um, so I get excited Mm. when I'm reading a play and I see like, one character speaking for three to four pages that that excites me um or when i'm on this or when i watch it on stage too it reminds me that like okay this is not happening in film and tv this is really something that we can only really see on the stage um i don't know about you but i'm also a fan of like mm-hmm. plays that are basically monologues do you do you enjoy those sometimes mm-hmm. too like, what would be an example? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, one of my favorites um, is Brian Friel. Um, he's an Irish playwright who wrote the play. Well, the ones I'm thinking of right now are Faith Healer and, oh, gosh, uh, Molly Sweeney, which are basically each play is like three characters, and they're they're talking about one event through each character's perspective, pretty much. Oh, cool. So it's basically like it. it mm-hmm. I, I saw Faith Healer uh, on Broadway with... Um, Ray Fiennes and Cherry Jones and Ian McDiarmid. So three, three fantastic actors. So it's just, I just enjoy that you're sitting in the audience and you're just watching basically someone tell you a story. Um, I'm trying to think of another one that I've read. Um, I've actually been really, um, so, well, you had Brian James Polak um, on your show a few weeks Mm -hmm. ago, right? And uh, Brian Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. hosts a podcast called The Subtext. Um, Have you listened to that podcast before? Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. I love that podcast. And his last guest was um, the actor playwright Wallace Shawn, um, which a lot of people know as, wow. um, oh my gosh, like Princess Bride. And he's the voice of Rex in 
the Toy Story series or My Dinner with Andre. But he's also a fantastic oh, playwright. I didn't know he was the voice of Rex. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. And when you like listen to that, watch that movie, you're just like, yeah, that's that voice. Um, but I've uh, he's also a playwright, and I've been reading his um, plays recently. And he has two called his two in particular called The Designated Mourner and The Fever. Um, which are just basic. The Fever is basically just a one-person show. Designated Mourner is three, three actors, but there's like pages and pages of one person talking. Um, so yeah, I like those a lot. And but like I said, I think the the monologue just reminds us what makes theater special and what what is it. I don't know that magic of everyone leaning in to watch one person tell a story or one person talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that you brought up like solo performance, solo artist yep. um, as like a good example. Like that's that's monologuing for sure. Um, um, with uh, with your background and with your background in comedy, Sarah, I think I'm very interested in that. Like, what makes it stand up comedy, and what makes it um, like a solo one uh, one person show kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen I haven't seen the new Bo Burnham special yet, but. Um, I love Mike Birbiglia's stuff, and I think, like he he brings on a director mm. to like a like a theater director to do all his stuff, and I think it shows. It's it's really it's it's not just your traditional, oh, this is a stand up comedy set. No, it's it's a monologue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And Mike Birbiglia for sure is like, I always I don't I never I never saw him as like a stand up comedian because mm. I saw him in more of like a storyteller. Because mm-hmm. um, stand up comedians is like. It there might be a story threaded through, but it's mainly like jokes, it's like a lot of jokes, right. um, and and observations. Um, for me personally, like I honestly don't like purposely write monologues. I don't go and like proactively write a monologue. It's like I almost use it as a as a filler sometimes, which is so bad to say. It's like I don't know what's going on. Like I need something to connect these two things. And oftentimes monologues, I use it as a, as a device to just, is it because they're always like two types of monologues I've noticed is like, right. Recollecting, telling a story, you know, Mm -hmm. but otherwise it's like very presentational, you know, there's like, Mm -hmm. Hey, this is me. And this is what I'm going to talk about. You know, I don't know. Um, But what do you think about the monologues that take place? in real time, like in the, within the world of the play where like, it's just talking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then all of a sudden somebody is just decides to talk for a few pages. Right. Yeah. Well, like and I think oftentimes of- in that moment is like, they're mm-hmm. either recollecting or right. like, cause like you did this to me. Do you remember that? Right. You blah, blah, blah. You did this to me and you married my brother. <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> like, they, it's like, it's obviously like they're pointing on recollecting. It's never really, Almost always, it's never as very like active present mm-hmm. tense, unless they're like actually attacking that person and saying something to them. Directly. Well, because you have to have some kind of reason that the other person is not talking for an extended period of time. That's what I find right. so fascinating about monologues like that. Is like you, there has to be some good reason that the other person decides to just listen, mm. and that can make it really exciting. And I think it'd also be a, a character thing. Um, it, it says something about mm-hmm. the the character. Um, like I'm, I'm thinking particularly of, oh my gosh, the scene in Angels in America where Lewis and Belize are just in talking and Lewis just mm-hmm. goes on and on and on. And it's just like, yeah, we know in that moment that 
Lewis just likes to hear himself talk. Um, and Belize is just, right. and the thing, the thing I've seen too is like, is Belize is, he's not passive. He's sitting there, he's rolling his eyes and he's waiting to be like, yeah, this white guy is wrong. Okay. So Sean, you, one of the things that you do that I think is so cool is you help people find monologues, right? I do. Yes. Using your extensive knowledge of plays and like, um, can you just tell us a little bit about what that process looks like and how you help people find something? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I found that people were coming to me a lot just because I, my reputation as knowing a lot of new work uh, was kind of getting out there a little bit. And people would just come up to me and say like, hey, uh, I'm really interested in getting to know new stuff. Um, what do you recommend? So I would, I, and, and I, and I, I hate that idea of like the blanket recommending of like, oh, what, what do you think I should read? Cause like my tastes are very different than Sam's tastes and Sarah's tastes. Mm-hmm. We, we all like different mm-hmm. things. So I'm very, I really want to know, okay, I read so many different things. So like, if you told me like, you know what, I'm interested in, I mean, we, we were talking a little bit off mic about ghost, ghost plays. Um, so if, you, if Sam or Sarah <laughs> said, oh, I like ghost plays then I would, I would rattle off a bunch of things to you. Um, so I just, and this was during the pandemic and I was unemployed. Um, and I'm just like, you know, and I was going through coaching at the time and uh, coaching was really a, a life coaching, career coaching, that kind of thing. And it was really uh, uh, my coach. I was working with my coach. I'm really pushing myself out there and just um, trying to figure out what my life would look like, not going back to, being someone else's employee kind of thing. Um, well, how can mm. I make, how can I make, uh, make a, 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 make, make theater what I earn my, my living from. Um, so I decided to, well, I built my website or my friend built my website for me. Shout out to Bryn Frauenhofer, who's a really good playwright in Chicago and also a really great, uh, website designer. Um, and I decided to start this, a monologue service where basically I will have a 30 minute phone call with an actor and I'll ask them a series of questions that range from, Oh gosh, uh, what, what kind of theater excites them? Uh, what's their type? What do you wish people, people who type you would see? Um, what kind of work they're interested in? It's, I really try and curate it to not, uh, and, and, and I try and make it clear to my clients too, that if you're looking for just the same stuff that you've been typed as, um, I'm probably not the person to go to. I'm much more, I'm much more interested in finding clients work that either pushes them outside of their type or kind of subverts the type a little bit. I really just want to get people excited cool. about me. Mm. Um, so yeah, we'll have that 30-minute call, and depending on which package uh, they, they get, I either find them three uh, or five monologues uh, from new plays on New Play Exchange, um, and I will I will recommend cuts or or like which which page numbers to look at and everything. And yeah, so that's that's kinda that's it's been slow a little bit recently, but I think I'm hoping that now that auditions are actually happening again. Um, things will pick yeah. up more, but yes, yeah, so I've been, I've been doing, I've, that's what I've been doing. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. That is super cool. And I think, you know, one of the things I didn't realize when I was younger and back when I was actually 
auditioning as an actor for things. Um, it took me a long time to realize that you can take as, you know, as an actor looking at a play, if there's a monologue you like, but it's only, I don't know, five sentences and you need something that's seven sentences, you can actually just like <laughs> find two more sentences like later down the page that maybe aren't necessarily part of that monologue. Mm. You can just add it or, you know, you can edit things and adapt them to what you need. Right. But it, it also, what I'm realizing that it also depends because I'm working right now also with um, my younger sister who is a, uh, who is uh working on the, the college auditions. She's going to be a senior in high school. Mm. Uh, she goes to a performing arts high school. So I'm working on helping her find stuff. And um, I'm working with uh, one of her students, one of her, her fellow students too. And I'm realizing, I'm realizing some of them do require that they be one big chunk. Um, yeah, there's, really? there's really a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of like weird stuff, especially in the college audition world. Um, there's also like, I'm finding a lot of them also say like, it needs to be from published plays. So I'm like, and I'm, I'm curious if that just means that they don't know what new oh. play exchange is. Um, because it's, it's, yeah, if you're, if you're only sticking to like, well, it has to be published plays. Like, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's leaving a lot out. And also like, like we all know how racist and uh, exclusionary the publishing world is in general, but especially like, like you only get your plays right. published if they're produced and uh, it's still, it's still a majority of white playwrights getting produced. So that's who's getting published. Um, I wonder yeah, why I mean, they would have that rule. That's really odd. I, I, I honestly just think it's, it's, it was created from what I understand from people I've, I've talked to, it was created as, not letting the students write their own monologues for themselves to audition with, which uh, I also don't understand why that's an issue. Like, wouldn't that be a cool thing? Yeah. Um, and it's just something they've never re-looked at. Um, and I also think part of it is they just don't know what new play exchange is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want somebody to show this, to demonstrate the skill that they can find a text written by someone else and find something of themselves inside that text, then I can right. understand why you wouldn't want them to write it themselves. But I agree yeah, that I, I get that. That seems like such a small portion of unpublished plays. <laughs> like, yeah, literally. Like, and I'm also um, curious too if it's if it's like do these do these adjudicators just want students to pick work that they've heard of so they can then judge right. if they're doing it right or something like that. Right. Um, That's probably yeah. more of what it is. Yeah. Huh. But no, I've I've been loving coaching the the students, but um but yeah, monologue recommending has been a blast. I actually have recommended um one of your plays, Sarah. Um I recommended oh, a monologue from Yeah, I recommended a monologue from a uh, uh uh Kung Flu. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. I was like, "Wait, there's a monologue in there?" <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure oh, there wow. is. Thanks, John. Um, of course. So there are monologues that exist in a play, mm -hmm. and then there are monologues that uh, I've seen like standalone, like writers just writing them, like, like uh, just writers the just writing the monologues, in. like or not even a show, but just like for an exercise, like somebody might just write. Oh yes, yes, right, yes. But, okay. Or even just like, people might write like a five-minute monologue. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's actually a lot of writers that do just that on new play exchange like i think of asher windham who 
basically only writes monologues. And like a lot of the plays are labeled like monologue for a teenage girl kind of thing. Um, mm. So yeah, I think there is, there's definitely a market for that. Um, but yeah, um, I, I kind of wanted to ask real quick too, Sam, when you were talking about, uh, and you too, Sarah, like, did you ever like, before you before new play change was a thing or before you knew about finding stuff did you go to those great monologues for blanks in the bookstores mm. or whatever i did mm. but i never found anything i liked yeah. i mean especially because really? like you know when i was doing this i would be like i don't know 19 i, I would look at a book that was like monologues for young women women and it was just yeah like they were yeah. all just trash yeah <laughs> and also it's like yeah. I don't want to play any of these characters. And like I, I would pick a mon like, you know, in college for like an acting class. I'm like, oh, I have to find a monologue. And I would just like that was like easy go to, right? Mm -hmm. And I would pick a monologue from those those that those books and bring it to class. And my teacher would just like, no. <laughs> they're like Really? It's like they're just say don't say no, like no. And then they it's like it's like they like those monologues from those books like have a smell to them or something because it's like the, I my, all my acting teachers were like please don't like read a play find a monologue from a play you know they like want me to do yeah. that mm -hmm. well because then it has it feels like it has more substance and context to it especially right. for a young actor like it helps you to know what the whole story True. is right right but it's also it's it's tough especially when you're a student yeah. yeah it is tough and one of my favorite things I ever saw was um when I was in college I was like waiting to audition for the first year show and there was a kid there who had to audition because he was in acting one and they were all required to audition like even if they didn't want to be in the play and he <laughs> he was auditioning with uh the sermon on the mount from the bible he was playing the role of jesus <laughs> oh my gosh. and he was just doing that because like he had to audition and i was like that is brilliant <laughs> wait was it for like godspell or jesus christ superstar at least no, 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 no. Literally, the show is just okay. like a collection of short plays, but he oh, okay. didn't. I don't know. He was like, why am I having to audition when I don't want to be in the play? I'm just going to pick the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like it when people pick kind of unusual texts um, to use as a monologue. I always think that shows something really interesting. A friend of mine it's just a nice um, change. I mean, having sat through like hours and hours and hours of auditions where people bring in monologues, I have to say, like, so many of the same ones are repeated. Like, I never need to see another Neil LeBute monologue <laughs> as long as I live. <laughs> and so, anytime somebody brings in something new or different, it's really refreshing. Yeah, I feel like Neil LeBute and like like a lot of David Mamet, like, um, oh God. I don't know. I just think of that. I think of Barry, um, and how, um, didn't like Barry, like do like Alec Baldwin's monologue from, from Glengarry Glen Ross or something like in a, a class or something. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, a friend of mine actually, uh, to go with what you were saying, Sam, about like other, other kind of text. Um, a friend of mine just got into, um, an MFA program over in over in London, uh, and the requirement the requirement was to use a classical text and then a modern text, and it could be mm. from a play or it could be a speech or anything. Uh, so she ended up doing a Shakespeare piece for the classical, and then she did like a Betty Friedan 
uh, speech for her contemporary piece. Cool. And it was like, it was, I'm like, that's so, so cool. But don't, I, uh, luckily today, um, things are getting better with those monologue books. I mean, I still recommend once you find the monologue that you like, you read the full play. Um, but I know it's just mm. hard to like kind of sit through a play and sift through it. But I am glad that there's um, like the Kilroy's just came out with two volumes of monologues from plays on those lists. And there is a WordPress oh, wow. site called nonbinarymonologues.wordpress.com. And it's a collection of monologues for, cool. just for non-binary actors. Um, That's yeah. awesome. So, but like I said, I just recommend once you find the one you like, make sure you read the play. Well, and the internet is amazing. Cause I also just yes. remember spending hours in the stacks of the library, like reading play yeah. after play trying. And when I say reading, I mean, skimming, you know, for mm -hmm. like a block of text. <gasps> um, well, that's, that was something yeah. that I was going to bring up too. Um, I think formatting of monologues is so important. Uh, when you're, when you're mm. writing. Um, say I more mean, about that. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm only half joking about this, but when it comes to finding monologues in in plays, I often like look through for like, okay, where's a lot of text all put together? Um, but yeah, it's, I think, it, I mean, it definitely tells the story. It's when, I mean, if it's all, mm -hmm. if, if, if the monologue is just very much, no spaces, just it's just a bunch of words and everything. I mean, that either tells me that they didn't consider the formatting or like it's just a rushed monologue. Um, but yeah, mm. there's opportunities to really use spaces, to use, um, to use, um, I mean, Jen Silverman, or not, I, I mean, Jen Silverman is brilliant too, but I mean, Dance Nation, um, just look at Ashley's monologue on the page. It's, it's the formatting that is just absolutely brilliant. And it just really, I mean, yeah. as an actor, your job is basically done for you. You you know exactly what you need to be doing the way that um, Claire Bear, uh, Claire Barron um, has formatted that piece. But yeah, I think um, I I feel like writers writers just help directors out a lot by their formatting choices um, because you really get to know the rhythm. Yeah. I completely agree, but I've also heard mm -hmm. some people say that that's like director proofing the script and like the playwright's trying to be too controlling by, mm. um, I don't know, dictating so much through the way they put it on the page. And I'm just wondering what you, how you would respond to that argument. Um, the way I would respond to that is, and, and it's, it's just my opinion, and it's solely because I'm a playwright first person. I love the playwright. Theater is a playwright's medium. Um, I'm not wild about these visionary directors. Um, even though, <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not wild about. I, I think the director. The director just really needs to serve the playwright's vision. Um. So if a writer feels like they need to do something to to make it safe from a director who might want to put their own vision on it, <laughs> um, I think that's totally their thing. I mean, we look at we look at Alfred Hitchcock where they talk about he would just he would film things only one way so it could only be edited one way. 
Um, and we call him a genius wow. for it. Wow. So, we, so we really need to be doing right. the same to playwrights. And I'm sorry if that if that makes a director upset that they won't they can't they can't show off their 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 brilliant technique and whatever. But um, the director's number one job should always be to serve the playwright and the playwright's vision. Here, here. <laughs> I like that. Controversial, but I love it. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it's not controversial in Beckett's babies. <laughs> and and there's the Greeks and there's Shakespeare for directors to screw around with. There you yes, go. Yes, exactly. Or pay or pay a playwright really really well, and then buy the rights to their plays. So you can do it with that. Playwrights don't make anything, mm. so the least you can give them is complete control over their work. So, okay, so let's go back to when you're looking for three or five monologues for a person. Once you've kind of decided um, with them what you want to highlight about their skill mm-hmm. um, or their type, how do you choose, like, what's, what distinguishes kind of a mediocre monologue or one that might be really important in a play um, but isn't that great on its own from a really kick-ass audition monologue? Like, what are some of the ingredients you look for? Well, I definitely talk to the actors about what kind of tone they're going for. A lot of times, and and I agree with this too, a lot of actors don't really want to, like, I mean, to make it simple, like, I've talked to a lot of actors that are just like, I don't really want to do anything that requires me to cry in an audition. Um, I'd rather save that. I'd rather save that for the performance. Um, so right. yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said, we, we talk about tone. We talk about, do you want to work on more dramatic stuff, more comedic stuff? Um, I want, I want to highlight, I want to give them something that's, that really shows off their skills. Um, and that maybe gets the people behind the table excited. Cause I, I mean, I also like, I, I also like very much like, I recommend new plays. A lot of play, a lot of times they're plays by my friends because I also want these casting people to know about these playwrights. So if they're hearing a lot of like mm. Alex Lynn plays in, in their audition rooms, I want them to be like, Oh, who's this Alex Lynn? I want to be doing Alex Lynn plays. Um, but that's awesome. So I, I but so I what like, would be an example of a play that, right. yeah, that like really shows off somebody's talents. So, so yeah, I want the, I want to show off their talent. I want it to get, I want them to get excited about the plays as a whole, but not have it be anything, not have it be anything like, oh, well, it's, it, it kind of feels like taking out of context or anything. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want it to be like a piece where totally. they, where like, the, where like the people behind the table are like, this doesn't make sense. I guess it would make sense if I saw the whole play. Um, who I think right. does this really um, well is um, a writer. Her name is Catherine Weingarten, who basically writes oh, in yeah. like mm-hmm. meme speak and like internet speak. So like, and she writes super super smart women who talk, and um, they they talk about really <laughs> really big things. But there's also rooms for the um and the ands, and just really natural natural feeling speak speech and everything. I use a lot of her plays because I feel like. A lot of a lot of her characters basically speak their speak who they are through monologues. So I like that idea. Um, not too much like mm. plot stuff, but just stuff that gets that that kind of 
gets you to know who the character is, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely stuff that's like more, yeah, more more character, more character focused, um, and less, and and I mean, I mean, some some actors have asked me like, yeah, I don't want I don't want a monologue where somebody's telling a story, which makes it harder, but it's a challenge I'm up for. Um, I I do sometimes I I. Mm-hmm. I do tend to prefer like those monologues that are like basically asides. I don't want to say prefer, but I like them mm-hmm. a lot. The ones that are kind of like let's step out of the action and and uh, maybe not talk to the audience, but like have a out of body discussion and everything. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I like. I well, like I think some one of the things that makes jokes. those hard. One of the things that makes the, the like telling a story monologue difficult, I right. think, for an audition is that it you have to do a bunch of extra work to make it active because it's not necessarily yes. active on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if when people say that it's because they're looking for something that's like, you know, a, a monologue that's happening in, in real time with another character right. has all of this built in dynamic energy. Whereas a monologue that where somebody's telling a story, um, you know, you have to kind of supply some of that energy or find a way to make it active. I'm a big fan of plays own. that are taking place in the in the internet, within the internet and social media world. And a mm. lot of times often playwrights cool. will write monologues basically as posts or as like tweet threads or something like that. I think those work really well because we're basically already doing that through TikTok and yeah. um, our vlogs and everything. So um, I, I enjoy plays where that's the, like where the monologue is, like I said, either either a very active, I'm talking to one person, but it's a one-sided conversation right now, or a, like I said, a, a, a Facebook post as a monologue kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Catherine Weingarten does that oh, really rant. well. Yes, rants. I like rants. Mhm. Yeah. But yeah, but for auditions, I mean there's a there's a beautiful monologue at the end of Heroes of the Fourth Turning, but I would never give that an act to an actor to audition with because it just requires a lot of screaming and crying. Um and I feel like we're past that. Mm. I feel like we're hopefully we're moving away from that where we're telling actors that they have to leave everything in the audition room. No. Mm. Please don't. I hope we're past that, but I feel like <laughs> yeah, we're not. <laughs> I know it's oh it's hard. I just it just made me think about my one of my first monologues I had to like perform just like in a class like an acting class, and it was just like I was like I was just, like pick the monologues that were like the crazy woman, like you know what I mean, like right. screaming and like stop it. <laughs> <laughs> But also, I don't know why. Like I don't. Yeah. When you bring that to the audition room, and if you get the part, like they expect that that same energy all the time. I'd rather know that I could work with an actor. Um, I'd rather I'd rather just kind of get an idea. I don't want to be like, oh, well, you just you just ramped it up to eleven. So is there anywhere we can go with that? Mm. What about? Um... Do you ever give people suggestions of monologues that are really different from like, like maybe the part is written 
for an actor who's like a different gender or like different age or something, but you feel like this monologue would really, um, that this, I don't know, actor would do a really good job of that. Do you ever recommend anything like that? Like I know a lot of women who will audition with like Shakespeare monologues written for men, just because a lot of times they have better monologues. Right. Um, I haven't yet. And that's mainly because I mostly work on new contemporary texts and yeah, 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 I yeah. think mm-hmm. I think I feel like we can play around with that a lot more with the classics stuff, um, and I, I I that's that's the part of me that's kind of like I do want to give them something that they could that they could play. Um, so if I am working play, with yeah, totally. yeah, like if I'm working with a non-binary client, I'll I'll very specifically say like um, if they don't want to like they'll they'll tell me like. Like, okay, like, I either want non-binary, but I'll also do um, ma- uh, male presenting or female presenting. And, yeah, I, I, I very much let them decide that. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. All right. So, I guess, before we move on to glistens, um, any – I'm trying to think of a question that's, like, that's similar to, like, oh, what advice would you give? I'm trying – I don't want to do that question. <laughs> Um, but I guess it's like what? No, because if you give advice, then they won't come to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, maybe it's a two part then. Um, is a one is you know what advice finding that great monologue um, for young actors or any actors in general. But two is just like what is what's the um in your experience of like reading all these plays and finding these monologues, like what is just like the thing that comes to your mind of like in one sentence or two, but like, you know, what makes the monologue really stand out and like, just Mm -hmm. um, like memorable, uh, memorable and like sticks with you. Like why, like why, why pick certain monologues over others, you know? Yeah. um, I'm going to start with that second question first. Um, okay. It's either, either I've seen it on stage or it's, it's the memory I have either from seeing it performed or reading it for the first time where after I read or see that monologue, you just have that gut feeling of, wow, I just, I just saw or read something really, really special. You can't always put your finger on it. Um, but it's, 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 and maybe it kind of takes you out of the, the magic of the play a little bit. But it's almost like you sit back and just be like, okay, playwright, you just did, you just, <laughs> you just did made some magic with those words. Um, so yeah, it's, it's that, mm. it's that admiration for the craft, but also that, that unexplained, I, like I said, I can't really explain it. It's, it's just, yeah, especially when I read it. It sounds like, like you're saying, just, you know, when you see it. Yeah. Mm. You know, when you see it and you just, you just, it kind of, it. It, it makes you yeah. have to take a break from reading because you just need to like sit and digest yeah. what that was. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if monologues is the only place where in the play, I mean, where really the playwright could really speak to the audience directly almost. And like mm-hmm. with a certain level of truth that really, that really kind of, um, stamps what the play is about in a way, you know, like right. here's what I'm really trying to say here directly to you. And I hope it means something to you. Mm. 
Um, yeah, and I mean, a lot of yeah. those plays you think of like an Octoroon where like Brandon Jacob Jenkins has a huge monologue that's like read by a character named BJJ. So um, a lot of times like playwrights will be, or, or um, David Henry Huang does that with um, his play Yellowface where it's just like, hey, I'm the playwright and here's my thesis statement. Um, but those are two brilliant playwrights that do it without making them feel like thesis statements, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. Um, and then advice, uh, you should hire me. Um, I have very reasonable rates. <laughs> uh, but also, yeah, just just read a lot of stuff, see a lot of things. Um, if you if you see something, I mean, obviously theater is now just reopening. Um, but yeah, read. I just recommend reading as much as you can. Um, if you like a playwright's work, but they don't have a monologue that you think would fit them, how about reach out to the playwright and ask them to write you something? Um, of course, pay them. Mm. But it's really interesting. I've met many playwrights that are like, yeah, I want to write monologues for actors. So please commission them. Um, and and they're really good at writing in people, other people's voices. That's kind of that's what they do. But if you see something and you hear a monologue that you really like, pick up the play from your library after, after going to see it or something. Um, yeah, and uh, unless it's the Kilroy's uh, collection of monologues, don't pick up those plays that say best monologues for teen boys or, or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, just don't. Yeah. And, but <laughs> and, Good and advice. I talk to my actors, what I tell my clients a lot, find stuff that makes you happy. Um, if it makes you have, and, and I think it's the same with like musical theater auditions too. They tell you to pick a song that makes you happy. Just, uh, have fun. It's a chance for you to act. Um, if you come in looking at like that way, um, the piece will just be better. Um, if, if, if this piece from King Lear you, that you think really shows off your skills, that's great. But if it doesn't make you happy, that's going to come across in the auditions great great advice yeah i kind of went into like wow directing stuff there but all my hats get that's mixed great up. though <laughs> all right well should we move on to glistens yeah yeah okay um i could go first so my glisten is i saw i guess like the last showing of someone else's house um, with Geffen Playhouse. And speaking of monologues and solo shows and stuff, like this was this one person performing. It was a Zoom play. And it was like him telling a story about this haunted house that his family lived in and the sort of like what they went through and the how it scared everyone. It was such a compelling story, but also – it involved audience participation. There was visuals. There were all, all this like um, audio visual things that was going on, props being used. Like it was like one of the most fun 70 minutes of my life on Zoom. Like I could not believe that. I was like, I'm like, I'm having fun on Zoom. Like this is insane. <laughs> um, yeah, there, there was like a little haunting kit that came with the play where we lit the candle. And oh my gosh, just, that's so It was cool. like a whole experience that, I mean, as like things are reopening and like 
I'm hoping the Zoom places are here to stay, but also here's this whole other platform like opportunity for like visual digital artists to like really take over if they want to with this. They're making it their own um, with theater. So that's my glisten. Amazing. Um, well, okay. So my glisten is that in a few days I'm going to be moving to Boulder, Colorado, oh my which goodness. I haven't announced yet on this podcast, but now is the moment, I guess. Um, I am going to be starting a PhD in theater and performance studies at the University of Colorado. And so pretty soon I'm going to load up my car with all my stuff and my dog and drive almost all the way across the country. Wow. Wow. Um, Sam, you've lived all over the country. I have lived so many places. So different time zones to come to all of you every week from mountain time. (laughs) Woo! It's great for me, honestly. One hour apart, I love it. Yeah, that'll be nice. (laughs) Yeah. Sean, what's your question? Oh my gosh. Uh, I still don't know. So I'm going to do three glistens, um, but I'll do them in rapid fire. So I went to the movies for the first time since last March. Um, I saw Zola. Oh, wow. What did you um, see? Oh. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, I saw it was a, it was an empty. I had the theater myself, which was lovely. Um, but yeah, I re- highly recommend seeing Zola. Um, I don't want to say anything more about it. Just go see it. It's really good. And uh, theater theater uh related because it's co-written by the slave play playwright um jeremy o'harris and um it's really good uh second glisten is yesterday was my dear friend alex lynn's birthday who was a guest on beckett's babies and just one of my favorite playwrights um and she's killing it right now. She's got a play. You should go read her stuff on New Play Exchange. She's got a play called Bad Chinese Daughter, which is like being looked at by some fancy people that I I can't wait to see where that play goes. Um, she just um, was part of, just got selected for residency with um, Theater Moo uh, to work on uh, some plays. Um, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a little reading of uh, one of her plays that really excites me soon. And uh, oh, and I think I think next week she's gonna be doing the twenty four hour play festival series. Um, yeah, and then my last one is cool. coffee shops. Very I've been cool. going back to coffee shops, and I've missed them so much, and mm. they're just the best. Nice. Um, and I'm sure Pennsylvania will probably lock down again, but until that happens, I'm gonna I'm gonna visit my coffee shops and uh, be be with my oh. my people again. It's been nice seeing people like sit down and drink their coffee mm-hmm. inside. <laughs> I mean, I don't I think I'm still not ready to be like to do that just yet, but it's yeah. been really nice to see people doing that. Um opening their laptops, <laughs> working away in a And you're just shop. watching them from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like <laughs> and like enjoying what they're doing and I'm like, this is nice. <laughs> yeah. And they're just like, why is this person yeah. like Pushing their nose up against the window, watching looking at my coffee, <laughs> looking and watching me drink my latte. Yeah, we still don't where I live. We still don't really have any coffee shops that are doing indoor mm. 
like dining right now. Mm. There's some, there's one place that's doing outdoor and then the other places are still takeout, but. Um, well, I started working out a couple of weeks ago, which I've been enjoying. Cool. Oh, awesome. Um, there's this one coffee shop in Santa Barbara that used to be um, like an auto shop. So there's like a garage store and that has been converted into a coffee shop. So they opened that garage door and it's kind of like almost like a semi outdoorsy like coffee shop that people could enjoy their coffee and still feel like cool. they're not indoors, you know. Um, it's really cool. Do you know what's funny yeah. um, to go along with that? When I when I moved back to Pennsylvania a few months ago, uh, it's kind of the opposite of what you're talking about, Sarah. But my childhood blockbuster, I drove by it the other day, and it's been turned into an auto shop, and I got really sad. Wow! What? Wait, like, does the the building still does the building still have like blockbuster remnants? No. <laughs> See, like, it was one of those, like, when Blockbuster started closing, it became, like, a Halloween store, like so many other Blockbusters became, Mm. but, like, eventually, they were just like, yeah, (laughs) it's just going to be something else, so they they opened an auto shop there, and I just got really sad. Wow. Hmm. Well, if you ever are craving a video store fix, you can come to Belfast, Maine, which still has a fully operating video rental store. Or or Bend, Oregon, where it's the last uh, blockbuster. Oh, they saw the blockbuster. Yeah, yeah there's a yeah, really Travis good documentary City, on. Do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really good documentary on Netflix called The Last Blockbuster, which is about the last blockbuster in the world in Bend, Oregon. Wow. Oh yeah, I heard about that one. Mm-hmm. Well, like the last. Well, like the last. Blockbuster. Hopefully, this won't be our last. <laughs> so, yeah, like, where's this? I don't going? know anywhere this is going. Listeners, t- share your thoughts with us about video stores and monologues and anything else that's on your mind. We want to hear from you. And Sean, um, thank you so much for coming on to our show again. Um, hopefully, you'll come back soon again to talk about other plays and other Topics. things that excite you of course i'm very excited yeah and don't forget if you're out there and you're looking for a monologue check out sean lesher and his monologue service yay thank you Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Beckett's Babies. If you enjoyed what you heard or learned a thing or two about playwriting, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you'd like to reach out and share with us your thoughts on playwriting and theater or maybe be a guest on the show, uh, be sure to visit our website at www.beckettsbabies.com. That's www.beckettsbabies.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for listening.